I don't know about you, but when I look back on my life, if I were to look at the number of reasons, if I were to rank the reasons as to why it was that I got in trouble, especially in my growing up years, probably what would rise to the top is my mouth. Unfortunately, right, whether it's talking too much or whether it's talking back or being disrespectful, uh, rude, whatever it might be. And uh, man, just so you know, like when I write these messages, I'm stepping on my toes the whole, the whole time in preparation, and it's not always a good time. And so looking at this topic specifically, uh, you know, and, and kind of setting up this whole series and the power that our mouths have, uh, things kind of rose to the surface I hadn't thought about in years. Brought me back to a sixth grade band, which I'm not musically inclined at all. When I say band, I, I spent one year in band. I was last chair in the trumpet section. Thanks. Thanks for your feedback. <laughs> Union camps is so much more encouraging. I can't hear, hear their feedback. So. Anyway, um, and, and again, I had no musical talent, and apparently they, nobody trusted me, not even my parents, with an actual trumpet. And if, for those of you that are musically inclined, you understand that there's this thing called a cornet, which is like a miniature version of a trumpet. Like, we can't go all out and give them like a full-size you know, trumpet deal. Like, give them a cornet. Anyway... There, you know, last year, got my cornet, learned an ode to joy and all, that, all the basics and things like that. And, and uh, when I was especially, you know, elementary, middle school years, you know, I, I enjoyed trying to make, like, my classmates laugh. And I was a little bit too talkative and disruptive. And, well, there's consequences to that, okay? And uh, honestly, I spent more time um, in sixth grade band, which was my only year ever in band, with my nose on the chalkboard, Mr. Leach, the band, band director, drew a circle and said, Darren, you stand there, right? We're going to go here and be productive. You're disrupting, you know. I apologize to all the parents with, you know, any young kids in the room. I'm a bad example, but, you know, moved on in life. I, I remember in ninth grade, I was in choir, again, keeping in mind, not musically inclined, and wanted to, I was in the back row bass section, and I just, for some reason, wanted to keep talking to my neighbor, Robbie Herbert. Well, that was disruptive. Got called into Mr. Henderson's office. He was the choir director. Said, you guys are done, right? Warned you, right? You guys got to stop talking. Apparently, you're not interested in that, so you're going to get an F for the semester. That's the way choir works, right? You get an A or an F, right? Pass or fail. And uh, yeah, that's what I thought. Major bummer. And uh, I was like, oh, no, you know, pleading my case, right? I got parents. I don't want to take home an F. Choir, really? F and choir? You got to really try hard to get that. <laughs> Please, no. And uh, somehow, right, you know, God did a great work of grace in Mr. Henderson's life. He allowed us to stay in choir, which, by the way, by the time I was a senior, I was choir manager. So that's a big deal to me. It's, my wife makes fun of me all the time because, like, Darren, that's not a big deal. It's not resume material. But anyway, <laughs> short-term memory loss by my choir director, uh, Mr. Henderson. And, but my mouth was the problem. One last example, I remember uh, uh, one time being at home. And my dad said something, and I talked back to him. I spouted off and said something I definitely shouldn't have said. And that recliner went down, and he hopped up faster than I ever thought was humanly possible. <laughs> Glad this is funny for you all. <laughs> he picked me up off the—my dad's a good dad, by the way. <laughs> Don't need to look into this or anything. Picked me up off the couch, and uh, I was on the ground. He's beating my bottom, right? spanking me. I, I deserved it. It was legitimate. And uh, that was also my freshman year, which really— <laughs> Yeah, it really makes this awkward. And uh, last spanking I ever got, so apparently I grew up after that. But I remember my, uh, my sister's best friend at the time, Krista DeVore, she was in the living room when it all went down. Shortly after that, she, she and her family ended up moving away. I don't think that's... <laughs> I don't think that has anything to do with why, but I was like, wow, this is a, officially a scene. But it was my mouth that got me in trouble. 
And we often overlook, right, this, this area, you know, today and the next four weeks, it's something we have to be proactive in. Because if we're not, if we just plan to kind of show up to the day and talk, you know, allow our mouths to speak, whatever naturally comes out, we're going to be in trouble. This is something we have to guard against and understand that our words have power. And when I was really, you know, taking a close self-examination and considering, you know, what might be worst case scenario is I've maybe spoken words to people that have been hurtful to them that I didn't realize in the moment. And I wonder, I hope there's not very many people out there that they've held on to that. I mean, and, and we've all been on the giving and the receiving end of the power of words. There's words that have been spoken into your life that you've held on to that, that were hurtful and that have even shaped your identity, right? That kind of shook your confidence as you've moved forward, and it could be decades. And on the other hand, we've said certain things that we've said to people that maybe we do remember and realize we need to go back and reconcile. And so in Scripture, we see very clearly the book of Proverbs says the, wor- the words have extreme, they have immense power, both for positive or negative. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit, but I love the last part. You choose. It's a choice, and what we're going to see here through scripture is it's, it's a discipline to choose to pay attention to the words that I use, and more specifically, where they're actually coming from. Because it's not just, they're just like, well, how did I speak that? Where did that come from, right? It's the consequence of something that lies beneath the surface. And so the problem is not the actual words that we speak. It's what happens within ourselves that end up shaping the words that come out of our mouths. They're very rarely just random. But we need to understand they have a lot of power. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four specific ways our mouths can get us into trouble. Today, specifically the area of complaining. Now, if you, uh, if you grew up like me, or I guess it's still somewhat popular of a cartoon, there's even recent movies have been made about uh, Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh has a cast of characters, one of which is Eeyore, uh, happy-go-lucky donkey. I say that sarcastically because he's, very, he's uh, very depressive and negative, and he complains a lot. So, fictional character, keep in mind, but sometimes we have a lot to learn from what we see uh, through uh, fictional characters. Let me give you four examples of uh, maybe uh, something that we sound like when we uh, look like Eeyore. He says, uh, if it is a good morning, which I doubt. You ever been there? Say good morning to somebody, and you're like, yeah, I wish. If only. Like, whoa, okay. Not optimism day in that person's life. And so, you know, constantly, people that constantly see through the lens of what is wrong. Another thing Eeyore once said, the sky has finally fallen. Always knew it would, Right? Constant impending doom, right? Just, you know, negativity consumes a person sometimes. Third example from Eeyore. Sure is a cheerful color. Guess I'll have to get used to it. (laughs) You ever met somebody who's just annoyed by anything happy or cheerful? Like, well, that's a disruption to my everyday life. I got so used to just kind of, you know, negativity and just, you know, being a a cynic and a pessimist. And now all of a sudden you want to bring cheer, cheerful things into my life? I don't have room for that. All right, last one. Could be worse. Not sure how but it could be, right? Like, well, man, it's only going to get worse. We're constantly, you know, getting the mindset of waiting for the shoe to drop, just anticipating, like, that's just the world, you know, that's just my lot in life, right? It's only going to get worse from here. Now, I want to take this a couple steps forward. We give two examples of how Eeyore actually turned it around a little bit. Found two quotes, two perspectives from him, and uh, this isn't just, oh, that's, that's nice and cute from a fictional character. This is a glimpse of where we're going, right? The perspective that Eeyore ended up getting to. Here's the first one. He says it's snowing still. He said Eeyore gloomily and freezing. 
However, he said, brightening up a little, we haven't had an earthquake lately. (laughs) That's great perspective. That's absolutely true. One more example. He said, one can't complain. I have my friends. Someone spoke to me only yesterday. I love that, right? (laughs) The little things, discipline of gratitude. Now, what is complaining, right? You didn't need to come to church to to learn what complaining is, right? We live this out each day. Um, There's certain elements of of, of things that we uh, constantly complain about. We hear complaining, you know, as soon as you turn on the news station. Um, But just for the sake of defining it, it's expressing dissatisfaction. Something happens, you see something, you express something that you're dissatisfied with. See, when we complain, here's what we're getting at. This is, this is the consequence. When we complain, we choose to see only what is wrong. Oftentimes, when we express dissatisfaction, we're choosing to only see what is wrong. And if we do that over a long period of time, it becomes naturally who we are. We just become negative people. We allow what is wrong to determine our overall state of mind and emotion in the moment, which ends up ruining a lot of moments and becomes a bad habit for us if we're not guarding our our words, and what, what lies beneath the surface of things. Travis Bradbury has done a lot of research in the area of emotional intelligence, and it's very interesting what he found in the area of uh, complaining specifically. Research, according to Travis Bradbury, shows that most people complain once a minute during a typical conversation. Probably isn't a surprise, right? Except for you really positive people, you're like, wow, it's very depressing. And we have a long way to go, that's the point. He, here's what he says, repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely, over time you find it's easier to be negative than to be positive, regardless of what's happening around you. He said complaining becomes your default behavior, right? So many of us have lived this out. We find ourselves in a cycle of negativity, but like literally rewires our brain, which is going to create more work for us to get back to where we should be. He also asks another interesting question he's done research on, Is merely listening to complaining bad for you? (laughs) Interesting question to think about. Heads up for those of you that spend a lot of time watching Fox News or CNN, right? Dangerous world we live in. Here's what he said. Listening to nagging, just listening to it, nagging or complaining for 30 minutes or more can cause damage to the part of your brain that handles problem-solving skills. (laughs) This is very depressing stuff here. Welcome to church. But did you catch that? Choosing to surround yourself with negative people is literally damaging to your brain. Complaining, more specifically, is what research shows, it shrinks the hippocampus, which is the the area of the brain that's critical to problem-solving and intentional thought. So let me be clear, if you're not tracking yet, complaining or listening to complaining literally makes us dumber. And that, that's a major bummer, right? Like we have to, have to do better if we just want to be smart people. Now we've got to overcome this whole area of our lives. Now, let me wrap up the kind of, you know, physical, biological side of this, and then we're going to move beneath the surface, which is really what we're getting at today. What's happening when you complain is extra cortisol is released in your brain. And what happens when, when cortisol is released is it sends you in this constant fight-or-flight mode, right? High stress, high anxiety. And so very rarely do we complain with little or no emotion, right? It's just the nature of complaining, right? You can literally feel it within you. You become passionate about it, and what's happening in your brain is extra cortisol is released. It affects your immune system, which naturally makes you more susceptible to sickness, heart disease, even stroke, right? 
Welcome to church, glad we've been helpful to you today, right? You could have gone to the doctor to find out that news, right? But again, the real consequence is, is way beyond merely physical. In fact, the real problem is not actually even in the words that we use when we're complaining, it's in our heart. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So this is like serious self-examination time. When I speak, it's actually a reflection of what's really in my heart. And so it's not just about changing my language, changing the actual words that I use, right? You can do that temporarily, maybe, if you try really hard. It's about getting to the root of what's happening. You know, when words eventually come out, I got, I got issues with my heart. So if my words reflect my heart, when I complain, what's actually happening? Well, here it is. When we complain, we speak, naturally, what we're upset about. But in our heart, it, if we really get to the root of it, it, it we realize that we're, there's a level of resentment and bitterness, that maybe has gone unnoticed. I want to show you a 30-second commercial. It came out several years ago, and I've held on to it because I, I thought it was very interesting on multiple levels. And what you're going to see here, because it you know, happens fast, it's only a 30-second commercial, is uh, this girl seems pretty satisfied with what she's given until something else happens, something else that really kind of upsets her. But what I want you to pay attention to is, number one, uh, the look that she has on her face, and where and who specifically that look is directed at. Check it out. (laughs) That's hardcore, right? Maybe some of your parents experienced that. That's like the death stare. Now, you have to believe she was upset, right? With uh, First of all, she was satisfied. Oh, a little cute little pony. Oh, thank you. That's very nice from the strange man. And uh, then she sees what this other girl received, and I'm sure she's upset about what she didn't get, and she's upset maybe a little bit at that girl, but who's she mostly upset at? The person who decided what those two girls got, the giver. She was mad at the giver. So here's, the, here's what's ultimately at stake when we're complaining. We're actually discontent with God himself. This affects our very relationship with God. And so if you go all the way back to the beginning of time, the first two human beings that God brought into this world, the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible speaks to this. Uh, He created paradise, a perfect place for them. No sin was in the world. And he said, you take care of the garden, this beautiful, amazing place, and everything is perfect and everybody is happy. And because he created us to have the ability to choose, it's called free will, so that we could actually have a loving relationship with him. He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one tree, the tree of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. And so every time you choose not to, you're expressing your love and obedience to the God who created you. Well, then Satan comes along and says, well, he, you know, he approaching Adam and Eve, and you can read this in Scripture. He's like, well, that's, that seems a little extreme, doesn't it? Like, what's the big deal? I mean, the only re- and this is what Satan's saying. The only reason God's telling you that is because he doesn't want you to be like him. Like, oh, wow, I could be like God. And so they're hearing this, and, and Satan comes in, and he, he tempts them, and they end up eating of this tree that God told them not to eat from. And that, in that moment, that's when sin entered the world and everything changed. Their relationship with, with God was fractured, right? They were kicked out of the garden. But notice God's then interaction with Adam and Eve after that moment, right? And so, you know, there's more to this story. If you read it, there's, you know, they experience shame. They realize they're walking around naked, and so they naturally want to hide, right? And this is, we experience that. That plays out in our life today. But notice Genesis chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Here's what God says to them. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Don't miss this part. The man said, well, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now, this is very interesting, isn't it? Now, when it all played out, I'm sure there was some resentment that happened between Adam and Eve. Like, no, it's your fault, your fault. Yeah, you messed things up. But ultimately... 
Adam's anger was toward God himself. God, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. <laughs> now, you know, how, how quickly things change, right? Again, if you read in your Bible about Adam's reaction when Eve entered into the world, he's like, hello, you know, this is awesome, this is great, and things got even better than I could have imagined. Well, how quickly that changes, he's now directing the giver of all things good, of this perfect place, now holding him responsible and saying, God, no, you got it wrong. The woman you gave me, resentment. There was consequence to that. And so this is the beginning of, of you know, complaining when sin entered into the world. And so we have to understand, we have to connect where it's actually coming from, the root of our complaining. We're mad at the one that we're holding responsible, and it disrupts our relationship with God himself. A lot of times we don't get far enough to understand how that's connected. And so we believe that, 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 that God isn't getting it right in our lives. That's why we're complaining. That's why we're dissatisfied. So at the very root of our complaining is not what we are mad about, but who we are mad at. The one we ultimately believe is responsible for our discontentment, for us not getting what we want. So the beginning of resentment, don't miss this, the beginning of resentment leads to wanting what we don't have when we already have everything that we need. That's why Adam and Eve ate from the tree. So go back to the, this picture here. And uh, all of us at some point in our lives have given God that look. Some of you, based on your circumstances right now, you're like, God, you're getting it wrong. And we kind of operate from this, this sense of understanding, that believing that we're deserving, which is really entitlement, and say, you know, God owes me. I'm living the right kind of life. But how often are we content until we compare? We, we are living contented lives oftentimes until we catch a glimpse of somebody, right, in real life or social media, and we're like, oh, Wow, all of a sudden I'm discontent. All of a sudden I want to live somebody else's life, have what they have, be who they are. And it keeps us from contentment, which naturally the outcome of that, the outflow of our mouths is complaining. We compare what we have, where we are, who we are with. But whenever we want someone else's life, we will inevitably complain about our own life, the one God meant for us to be living. Right, And so if you're a first-time guest at church, first time at any church, and this is all like brand new information, you need to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you in your specific life, your uniquely created life. And so he's created you to be you, like on purpose for his purpose. And that's where contentment lives, when we choose to run in that lane, embrace the avenue, the circumstance that God has placed us in. So we, we lose sight of God's path for the purpose of our life when we look outside of ourselves and want something that we don't have. More specifically, complaining derails us from purposeful living because we're lacking proper perspective. This is what we're getting at today. What does it look like to have proper perspective so that I can find contentment and no longer complain? Right? We've got to get beneath the surface. Because wanting someone else's life, it'll always lead to, to complaining, which is born out of a bitter heart, and it'll keep us in a constant state of discontentment. Right? And this is exhausting, isn't it? For honest with ourselves, it's exhausting. So contentment is not about being satisfied with the gifts, but with the giver. It's not about just being satisfied with the gifts that we have, right? Just like the girl in the commercial. It's about being satisfied with the giver, where he has you, who he wants you specifically to be. See, we complain when we resent God and what we believe he's withholding from us. We believe that he's holding out on us. We believe even that he owes us. So we're somehow deserving based on our good behavior, the people that, that we're, the life that we're living, but that entitlement is more of a focus on what we don't have than on what we do. And it leaves us to always be focusing on only what is lacking, only what we're living without. 
So what should our aim be? Let's get specific. Let's get practical. Paul in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 14, he plays a high bar. It's a high calling. Like it, when you hear this scripture, you're like, yeah, that's unrealistic. Right? And you read scripture, you're like, okay, this is a little bit too convicting. I'm going to read it in smaller doses. This is one of those passages. He says, do everything without complaining. So we just read research that says, on average, we complain once a minute in a conversation. And now we read scripture and what success in God's eyes look like. The, the goal is to do everything without complaining. Another translation, along with uh, verse 14, verse 15, says this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that. Here's what it leads to. If we go down that route, if we pull this off, so that you may become blameless and pure. I don't know about you, but that so that is incredibly convicting to me. Because what I'm realizing is if I, if I live in a constant state of discontentment and the outflow of my mouth is complaining, it is a primary inhibitor, according to Scripture, to my very growth as a person and my relationship with Christ. See, what the conversation we're having is about how this affects us relationally with the creator of the universe, our Father, God. It's not based on circumstances alone. See, the, what's, what Paul's pointing out here is the path to a pure heart, a blameless heart, requires doing everything without complaining. It's a primary path to spiritual growth. Because again, grumbling and complaining is believing that God doesn't really know what is best. He doesn't really know what I need. Now, if you're like me, you know, when I was studying this and preparing for it, and I get it. You know, you're like, okay, seriously, there's got to be certain circumstances where it's okay to voice my opinion, something that I disagree with. And there is. So this is technically a whole other message, but let me just take three minutes to break this down as far as what this sounds like, what the difference is, what our primary measurement should be. Because it's not just like, well, just shut up and, and, and live your life and don't voice your opinion if you disagree with something. Because we see in Scripture a God who wants us to live life in such a way where we reconcile the world around us that is very broken to him. There's very things that he is, is anger about and that things in this world that happen that we should have a righteous anger about because we want them to be better and we want to be part of the solution. So here's the measurement. On one hand, if complaining only increases your bitterness or resentment and away from trust in God, it's merely grumbling or complaining. It's, it's sinful, right? Scripture reveals that it is actual sin. And this is why so often when we're upset about something, we immediately seek out people who will agree with us. And then it just becomes a vicious cycle where we're feeding the monsters like, can you believe they did that? Can you believe that this is going this way? And you're only speaking this into people that you know will agree with you. And then it just becomes, you know, commonplace. It just gets bigger and bigger. And it's really no big deal to complain. According to our culture, it's just what everybody does. But on the other hand, this speaks in, again, really briefly when it's okay. If it is a sincere critique... It moves you more in line with God and his desires, which is making the world a better place, reconciling the world to him, and actually helps to make, make, make things better, which means it's solution-focused. Like, people will, will come to me, you know, and, and all the time and say, well, you know, I think, we, you know, this should be better. If we did this, it would make that better. Um, but, and I love that. I tell people, like, we want feedback, you know, as far as, you know, what we're doing as a church. And, you know, I want to have conversations with as many people as possible because I understand that God puts this church family together so that we can all figure it out together. And so people come to me all the time and say, here, I had an idea. I had a thought. Like, that's great. It's solution-focused thinking. Now, oftentimes, you know, people will stop coming because they realize that, oh, I have to be part of the solution. That's going to take a whole lot of time. I don't want to be in charge of something. But it's this mentality of, hey, I believe that God wants to do something specifically better, and I want to be a part of making it better. 
And so a righteous complaint, so to speak, comes with a solution, a desire to be a contributor of improving something around them. And if you, if you open your, your Bible right in the middle, uh, the book of Psalms, the, the longest book in the Bible, you see David lamenting quite a bit to God himself. And so everybody needs to understand that God wants us to bring our honesty, right? Your anger, your bitterness, your resentment. He says, bring it all, I can take it. But don't end there. <laughs> don't be satisfied with staying there for the rest of your life. And we see this in the life of David, who laments often, but always gets to a point of praise, of proper perspective directed to, through the avenue of prayer. It's like, God, I'm, I'm lamenting, I'm letting you know that sometimes I don't, I don't even know if you're actually there or even if you care about what's happening in my life, but ultimately I'm gonna get to the point of surrendering my life to you and trusting you that you really do have my best in mind. So may we not be content with merely expressing our discontentment you know, through the avenue of complaining And then that becomes a habit that we don't even realize anymore, but we're constantly being disciplined and directing it in the proper avenue to gain proper perspective and saying, God, I don't agree with you. I wonder if you're actually there, if you actually care, but I'm with you. Sometimes reluctantly, but I'm still with you, right? That's honest, isn't it? How do we combat complaining? We turn the corner and wrap this up. What's the antidote to to grumbling? Like we need tools. We can't just say, well, I'm gonna try to do better. (laughs) And so we look at scripture Paul in the book of Colossians three, chapter 3, verse 17, he says, whatever you do, and he throws out words like everything and whatever, it's like high bar. He says, whatever you do, whether in, here it is, word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this last part is the avenue. It's not just a, a tag on. This is the primary avenue, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Another example, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 He says the same thing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Can you imagine? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The primary avenue is gratitude. See, contentment, despite circumstance, is reflected in gratitude. How grateful am I really? Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, uh, you know I've I've spoken into this because it's it's front and center uh, for me and for many of you as far as what it looks like for a family to navigate extreme tragedy and awful circumstance and leverage it through the lens of gratitude. I've been profoundly impacted for the last few months through uh, Brody Allen and the way that his mom and dad and the rest of his family have, have lived their life in the midst of this. And so if you haven't been here or haven't watched the news, uh, Brody was a two and a half year old who died of brain cancer a couple of uh, Fridays ago. And uh, yesterday uh, we had the funeral in this room here at the Burlington campus. And uh, it's worst case scenario. It's awful. It's a tragedy. You know, we, we long for, we wish for something different. And I even told somebody in between services, you know, we were talking about that. And you know, it, it hardly ever happens where I walk into this room on a Sunday morning and have the feeling that I did this morning because it's just, it's too soon, right? You know, literally 24 hours ago uh, it was a totally different atmosphere, environment. And, you know, balloons were, were, were hanging up because the family wanted this to be a time of celebration because Brody lived a, a, not a long life, but a full life and a very purpose-filled life. Um, he loved superheroes. And so there were literally superheroes uh, that were standing up front, right? It's, a, it's an image I will never forget. I'm on this side of the room and the, the, the people that do this on a regular basis that dress up as superheroes, um, they're all dressed in costume and they have tissues in their hand. And this was a moment that they won't forget for the rest of their lives, I guarantee. 
And they even had these superheroes stand in front of the casket here while the family had uh, their final moments, you know, with Brody. The superheroes even carried out the casket, came with us to the cemetery. Um, I mean, this is a moment that marked every single one of us. And so many of you have heard me speak into this the last couple of weeks, but the way in which Todd and Shiloh, Brody's parents, navigated this is really supernatural. Like, it's, for me, it's a direct sign that there is a God because no human could navigate this through the lens of gratitude like they have. And so Todd, uh, as we uh, were with the family this past week, planning out the service uh, yesterday um, and going through all the elements that we wanted to just contribute to be a, you know, a time of celebration with them, um, we put that together, and, and after they left, he was driving home, and he called me, and he said, uh, Darren on the radio uh, came the song, Oh, Come to the Altar. And he said, I want us to sing that. Uh, I want that to be played. I want us to sing it at Brody's funeral. And he said, I want you to speak into what has happened in, in our family during the last two and a half months. Right? We're, not, we're not just grieving that a child has passed. There's deep grief and deep sadness. We're celebrating a life that we got to experience, <laughs> that we even got to have for two and a half years. Again, amazing lens of gratitude. But even more so, over the last two and a half months, three of Brody's siblings gave their life to Christ. In the midst of hopefully the worst tragedy they will ever have to navigate, they said, I don't like it. I want for something different. That's not happening. But in the meantime, I'm still going with God. God, I don't get you. I don't understand where you are, how you're working, but I'm trusting that you are. And I, to the point that I want to trust you with my life, I'm surrendering my life to you. And so I'm sharing this yesterday in the funeral message because this is what Todd wanted me to share. And after I got off the phone with Todd, they said he wanted that to, to, to be shared. Um, I hung up the phone and you know, my office is, is close to uh, the, the front lobby at the Burlington campus. Uh, oh, come to the altars playing out in the front lobby. I'm like, okay, God, loud and clear. We hear you, okay? And so normally, you know, when I write funeral messages, right, you know, there's coming up with content and praying about that. And unfortunately, I've done several other kids' funerals. And every, with every one, I hope it's the last one I ever have to do. Uh, and so yesterday in the message, uh, in preparing that, I realized I'm not coming up with a whole lot because the family has all the material. <laughs> I'm just sharing stories of how they've lived their life. And so Todd said... I want this song played. I want you to share about, you know, three of Brody's siblings who gave their life to Christ in the midst of this. And they turned to God. He said, I want Brody's celebration of life to not be just about us as a family gathering. And come on, you know, those of you that are parents, I know for me, my instinct is like, we're just going to have our time, right? Close the doors. Our family's going to have our own private time because this is deep grief. And they, they opened up the doors wide open to the world. And if you've been following this on Facebook, you, you saw the extent of this um, and, and just, you know, who knows how many people around the world being connected to the story. Channel 12 News showed up and live streamed the, the, the funeral service, the entire thing. And it, um, I guess over 20,000 people were watching online and Todd knew this was going to happen. So he said, I want to play that song. I want people to know that my own family turned to God during this moment. And I want this celebration time to be an invitation for other people, the rest of the world to turn to God as well. I'm like, okay, it's amazing, right? This guy's, you know, pulling me along. He's growing my faith right in front of my very eyes. And so we came up with a way for people to do that. So we had a, you know, room full of people here, but who knows how many more watching online. And, and we came up with a way for people to literally just text the name of Brody, B-R-O-D-Y, to 97000. 
And as of yesterday, uh, after the, the funeral service, there were 35 people. So I'm turning my life to God. I want to, Jesus Christ is my savior. And every single one of those people received an automated message from Todd himself that he wrote for that. And we were able to follow up with those people and help them take next steps. Many of them came from a 513 um, you know, area code, which is because they live in Colerain Township. And so the, the people that are all of a sudden open because a two and a half year old's journey and the way that the family navigated it, they're profoundly impacted by the level of gratitude that they consistently have. See, what I've learned from them is gratitude is not a feeling. Gratitude is a disciplined perspective. I don't always feel like being grateful. And in that circumstance, I can't even imagine. But they understand that gratitude is a disciplined perspective. Grateful that they had any time with Brody at all. He was an absolute gift of pure joy. See, choosing to see the same less than ideal circumstance, whatever your circumstance is in life, through the lens of gratitude, that's a discipline. See, complaining only focuses on what we are without. A proper perspective always conquers complaining with gratitude itself. So I want to close by sharing something that I came across that somebody wrote entitled simply, I am thankful. And I think this is a very practical look that we can all relate to on multiple levels. It goes like this. I am thankful for the wife who says it's hot dogs tonight because she is home with me and not out with someone else. I'm thankful for the husband who is on the sofa being a couch potato because he is home with me and not out at the bars. I'm thankful for the teenager who is complaining about doing dishes because it means she's at home, not on the streets. I'm, com- I'm thankful for the taxes I pay because it means I'm employed. I'm thankful for the mess to clean after a party because it means I've been surrounded by friends. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug because it means I have enough to eat. I'm thankful for a lawn that needs mowing, windows that need cleaning, and gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. I'm thankful for all the complaining I hear about the government because it means we have freedom of speech. I'm thankful for the parking spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I'm capable of walking and I've been blessed with transportation. I'm thankful for my huge heating bill because it means I'm warm. I'm thankful for the lady behind me in church who sings off key because it means I can hear. (laughs) I didn't write this. I don't know why the ladies, you know. Probably us guys are a little more off key. I'm thankful for the pile of laundry and ironing because it means I have clothes to wear. I'm thankful for weariness and aching muscles at the end of the day because it means I have been capable of working hard. And finally, I say I am thankful for the alarm that goes off in the early morning hours because it means I'm alive. It means I'm alive. How often do we overlook the mere gift of today? Here we are in this moment faced with the opportunity to live. My wife, Emily, and I have a five-month-old uh, son, Levi, at home who's still not sleeping through the night. And that can be frustrating. That can be annoying. Many of you parents have navigated that. And, you know, my wife is my role model because she, you know, navigates that uh, on a whole, lot, whole other level than I do, you know, during the night. And, uh, you know, obviously we hope for a different ideal, but many of you parents also understand what gratitude looks like and understanding that proper perspective is just understanding the value of having a healthy child. If he's healthy, we can get through anything, especially in light of the circumstance we navigated yesterday. And so the Allen family and and watching them navigate this, what would they love to hear more than anything else? A crying baby, another word spoken, another smile from their kid. And they long for that. And they can live out loud, understanding that they've been given the gift of a short life through a child. And now they've been called to love 
the ones around them better and more deeply than they ever did before and calling the whole world to do the same. And so may we understand that we have life now. And it goes beyond just what we see in front of us because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to enter into our lives, which were technically dead to sin, and he gave his son's life so that we could have the fullness of life both now and forever. That's no small thing. That's the reason why we gather. That's the good news that we hold on to, and that's the good news for everyone. And so we live in such a way where we have the life that is in front of us, but we even get life beyond what we see because there's a person named Jesus Christ who loves us and pursues us and doesn't give up on us. So choose it today. Live overwhelmed with gratitude, knowing that you've been rescued. No matter your story, no matter your past, God has redeemed it. May we be grateful like never before.